Hello, any trenders. It is I, your host, James. Back at it again with our usual hosts. Introduce yourselves. Hi, everyone. This is Gracie, once again, hopping back and forth between this podcast and the Girl Taku. And this is Nick. <laughs> just, just Nick. I, I, every time, it's like, I'm like, okay, I gotta do the cold open, but now I'm thinking, like, it's just my brain is just kind of panicking right now, so I was like, oh, that's right. I didn't think of what to say again, so... Uh. That's fine. I mean, I, I also distracted both of you early before we actually started recording thanks to you know computer stuff and and even for this season i haven't really thought too much of of everything yet but i did write like at least half of the antibites so i'm curious how those got received as we went along um it was ton of fun yeah it was a lot of work but i was glad that i was able to review a lot more shows than i usually do yeah, I told myself I would watch more shows, and I am up to date on one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually might already be behind, depending on when the episodes come out. But uh, I can hardly be blamed for it. I've had a lot going on in my life. Uh, and it will continue to go on, apparently, since the last fix didn't stick. Anyway, enough about me. Uh, we're here to talk about anime. And yes, while my opinion may factor into it, if this show was only about me, I would need to have two other hosts. So <laughs> let's hop right into our chart check. I'm looking at it. There's a lot of yellow, like a lot of yellow horizontal arrows, which I think is very interesting. <laughs> so let's get into it. In first place, we have Attack on Titan Final Season Part 2. In second place, we have Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba Entertainment District Arc. In third place, we have My Dress Up Darling. In fourth place, we have The Case Study of Vanitas Part 2. In fifth place, we have Sasaki and Miyano. In sixth place, we have Karakai Jozu no Takagi-san Season 3. In seventh place, we have World's End Harem. In eighth place, we have Akebi's Sailor Uniform. In ninth place, we have The Genius Prince's Guide to Raising a Nation Out of Debt. And in 10th place, we have Arifureta from Commonplace to World's Strongest Season 2. I'm still just waiting for Worlds in Harm to leave the charts. <laughs> I mean, it's on its way. It's down a slot. And we've only had two weeks of charts. So I'm I'm actually much more excited that the Genius Prince's Guide to Raising a Nation Out of Debt uh, cracked into the top 10 this week. I am enjoying that show quite a bit. And actually, now that I'm reminded of it, that means that I have to update my... Uh, my previous statement too. I'm up to date on two shows this season. Uh, did you watch <laughs> the most recent one? It came out yesterday. Uh, which one was it? Episode three or episode two? Episode three. Oh, never mind. I'm not up to date. I watched <laughs> two episodes. So based on your reaction, so we have number nine. You have Genius Prince's Guide to Raising a Nation Out of Debt, and then eleven Realist Hero Built the Kingdom Part Two. So Genius Prince is the good one we talked about last week, right? Yes. yes. Genius okay, yes. I'm like, okay, that makes sense based on the reaction. I just I I still will not be able to remember it because they're too close. <laughs> they're both very long light novel titles and they both have like restoring a nation and the word, you know, either like you know, positive adjective noun action verb meaning to bring something up and then country or country synonym like there's not a whole lot of variation. Okay, so speaking of funny light novel names, I just found this out about Attack on Titans um, 
the band that plays the song for Final Season Part 2. So, two things. It's one, it's the same band as uh, that does the opening for Shinjeki no Bahama at Genesis, which has like the funniest like metal guitar breakdown at the very beginning. Um, Excellent. Their, their newest album, let me just read the title. Quote, thank God, comma, there are hundreds of ways to kill enemies. I like the title. <laughs> it's a pretty silly title, though. It's it's like it's like they're trying really hard, in my opinion, on it. But it also like kind of fits the angst from like Aaron Yeager or something. <laughs> like, <laughs> It's yeah. I'm just thinking about it just because of how long. That's a pretty long album. Yeah, it, it really sounds like a light novel title but it's an album <laughs> i'm just reminded of uh of the youthful days back in college when um i recorded some music with some some buddies and we're like all right what's the most light novely band name that we can give that we can make and i think it came out to be something like i can't believe my little sister won't listen to my anime cover jazz band or something it was it was very it was very like cringe but that's kind of the point i still have all the files if you want to listen to them <laughs> dude that actually so funny just like blasting like old recordings from years ago like see like not not necessarily like what i have to think because i think it's cool because i know you guys were playing like blue hearts and stuff mm-hmm. but it'd be like really interesting like seeing that exposed to the whole world not even recorded that well because it made like the microphone we were using is basically the equivalent of the one I'm podcasting on right now, which is great for mm-hmm. the human voice, but not for guitar, drums, bass, piano. <laughs> yeah, it's got that real garage band feel, but that also like it fits <laughs> though. If you're if you're gonna do Blue Hearts, like you might as well, you might as well have it have a a garage band sound though. Yeah. Anyway. Um. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I think we talked about this last week, uh, but Nick, you might have been the one to mention it, that there was like the bucket of the top four or whatever. And so far, you're 100% correct because the top four just haven't changed. I'm 100% in the same 100% order. Correct. Uh, uh, although that number five, though, Saki and Miyano up there, that's like, that's, that's awesome. Up, they're up three places, which is pretty cool. Yep, yeah, right. it makes me happy to see it, and I still love. I I mean, that's definitely the anime I literally wake up to on Sunday, and I'm like, I gotta watch it right now. So, yeah, it seems like that's the case for a lot of the viewers too, and that's like, I'm I'm happy to see that. Yeah, it's it's been good. I will get around to watching more shows at some point. I hope. Um, in the meantime, though, instead of watching serialized shows, I. Oh, fancy me. Went to the theater last week. Theater. Um, the theater, yes. Oh, um, I went to the movies. It was great. I was the only one for that screening. Good. Like, it was just me. It was just me alone in, in the theater. So I was the only one watching the movie. It's that, that's safe like that way. I mean, that's what dream. I did as well. So... <laughs> It's it's pretty great, but it also makes you feel a little bit bad because it's like, oh man, I paid like I think I paid like ten bucks, a little bit less than ten dollars for my ticket. I'm the only one that they showed it for. Like, I'm pretty sure they lost money on that. 
Yeah, but maybe it was like if you want to go into like how theaters make money. If you bought like a soda, they probably made more more profit margin. Oh, I didn't buy. I don't buy concessions. Oh, that's right. Um, it's James. I forgot. Uh, <laughs> oh, here's the funniest thing too. Actually, I was going to. Um, I was going so I went on a Friday. I was going to go on a Tuesday, and the theater that's near me has Tuesday discounts like all day Tuesday prices are less and then there's already like the matinee discount so my original ticket for the Tuesday screening uh was going to be like $5.25 and which which movie was this supposed to be Mr. James This movie thank you for for segueing me um I watched Bell Ooh. Yes hey that, so that... did I <laughs> Yeah and so did Gracie, I think. Yes, I did. Why would I be on here otherwise? <laughs> because you're on every other episode. Yeah, that's fair as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so the three of us all watched Belle, uh, and I virtually threatened them, not really, um, but said, hey, I know that we normally record every other week, but we have to do an episode on Belle because I need to talk about it right now. And so here we are talking about it right now. So, do we want me to try to do the synopsis? Do we even want to try to summarize this film? Or do we just want to launch right into our opinions? We can maybe start by saying, like, this is what happens. But, like, if you've seen it, like, we could give a refresher. Because, like, maybe you have a certain point where spoilers are on. Oh, I was just going to launch right into, like, well, not right into spoilers, but it's just going to happen. I think that happens every time we talk about a series is we go, oh, we should warn about spoilers. And then we spoil something and go, oops, we forgot to let's, warn people. Let's start with, like, what what did we, can we, like, before we start arguing about, like, what we think we saw, can we think about what we objectively saw, like, what the events happened, like, what's, and then kind yeah, of dive so, into, like, what the things that stood out from the movie. Yeah, honestly, the the best way I could try to describe Bell to actually, I, I tried describing it to Mark because he hasn't seen it yet, and I'm trying to get him to, uh, is that it's like Mamoru Hosoda, who did Wolf Children and The Girl Who Left Through Time and Summer Wars, made a movie that is like part Beauty and the Beast and part like potential warning about the internet, um. Which is a combination of him treading new ground and him returning to talking about the internet again. <laughs> well, I was going to say a basic rundown of it is that the main character is a girl who went through something really tragic and is still struggling with it years later. And she sort of found uh, a release through a virtual reality online where um, so there so the story kind of takes place in two worlds, the first one being the actual world. And the second one being in the virtual reality world, which is where the Beauty and the Beast storyline comes in. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's a good combination of, like, liberation, th like, working through childhood trauma, and then also Beauty and the Beast happens at the same time. Which I think is neat. I enjoyed it. I, I mean, it, it's, there's so much, and we also, we as an outlet, Anime Trending, were lucky enough to participate in an interview for both the director and also for one of the composers. So while I don't want to focus too much on the music, it is something that I really do want to talk about quite a bit. But before we get into the music, any just general opinions on the movie? Did you like it or did you not like it? That was, that's my first question. I, I liked it overall. Um, I think of our group, I think I liked it the most. So 
that that was like what the in, initial impressions were because there was like some a lot of other criticisms of the movie but i think there's one core i think part of the film where it um it does it really well and i think the fact this it's 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 a shame because it's like one of those films that you kind of have to see in a theater because i think a lot of the visuals and the music is um the most striking aspect of the movie um yeah i'm i'm inclined to agree in terms of like strictly the moving pictures on the screen there's a lot going on and you really benefit from like a movie theater's like high quality projector and giant screen and then because the movie is also about music in a way you benefit from having the very expensive fancy theater sound system mm-hmm. yeah cuz especially a lot of the, the opening sequence i think blew my mind and then i think even from the last pretty much every music part i thought was like wow that's like a lot of loud noises blasting me uh with visuals (laughs) yeah what did you think gracie i enjoyed it but i think that okay i enjoyed everything except the ending unfortunately i didn't like the way that everything was resolved at the end and as someone who takes endings probably the most serious of anything like as uh, and like my editor, our our anime training editor will even attest to this. In fact, all of our anime training editors will attest to this that I have a tendency when I write, I tend to put a lot of focus and power in the ending to the point that when one time I got lazy in my own writing and I decided to just end it simply, the editors immediately called me out and were like, this isn't like you, Gracie. You usually write really impactful <laughs> endings. And, so, and I was just like, darn, I can't even be lazy a bit. But I mean, like that tells you how important endings are to me. The fact that even our anime trending editors would notice when I decide to be lazy and just end it simply. So in a situation like this where I just did not like the resolution of the story and I will go into that more once we get into like the nitty gritty of the plot. Um, it I think that's definitely my biggest criticism that sort of like bites into my total enjoyment of the movie itself. That's interesting that you say that because um, I went into it admittedly. Uh, I was kind of late on the train in terms of, uh, like, watching this movie. I think I was the last one, one of the last people in our group to actually watch it. And so I had seen, because I am on Twitter, unfortunately, uh, (laughs) I I had seen some discourse surrounding the film. I had seen basically people talking about what they didn't like about it, people defending the film against people who said things about, you know, about why they didn't like parts of the film. And so I went into the theater with, I guess, low expectations story-wise and high expectations entertainment-wise. Like, I went in going, I, with kind of the mindset of, I should probably focus more on the conceptual kind of general broad messaging this movie is going to have, and also just the way that it looks and sounds, rather than trying to go in with my literary analysis hat on and try to like pick apart the plot and make sure everything like lines up the way that I want it to. And so I think my expectations were just different for me. I was satisfied enough with the ending. I think that's also because I've consumed enough and tolerated enough to be like, you know what? This is fine. This, this, this does it for me, but also I'm not a writer in the same way that you are Gracie. So 
I mean, I your opinion that, is think, valid. Don't try to like discredit your opinion, you know. So, I'm 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 prefacing all of this because uh, I still suffer very much from that tribalism of uh, of the of that you know instinctual. The person said they don't like the thing that I like. That means they don't like me. And even though you are one of my close friends, uh, that doesn't. I haven't controlled or corralled that like lizard monkey brain part of me yet. Well, okay. Uh, uh, the good news is I still liked the film. Like, so that's the yeah. good news. It's just the ending that I have a bone to pick with, essentially. So <laughs> I don't know. I liked it mostly because it tied everything up. Well, I don't, it, it's not spoilers to say that it ties up loose ends. Uh, that's always one of my biggest gripes with anime films is when they leave things hanging. Uh, and at least in my eyes, Bell did not. Even though it had to do, it had to reach a little bit to get there. I I much prefer the the end product. For me, it was like ah, oh, the end justifies the means. Did you really have you had to stretch a couple of things to get there? But you got there, and that's the important part. So the the thing that I thought was interesting about like how it gets to the ending. Um, I, I actually liked the buildup from the last 20 minutes. Um, so at that point is where, uh, Suzu and all of her friends realize that the identity of the beast is, um, just a kid. I guess we're in sp- like, spoilers now. Yeah, this is spoilers now. So by the way, it's just a kid. Um, cause the whole point is like, you got to find out who the guy is because at that point getting doxxed like that, um, could essentially be a death sentence from the way how the internet works. Um, I don't know if that was what Hosada was going for. Hosoda because was going for because I don't think he understands how much how the internet works. I guess this is I like don't, this. so. I don't think he likely understands the extent of how cruel the internet, like with doxing, which ironically has happened recently on Twitter. Yeah, today. I was about to say that that's super relevant, but I was going to wait till we got a little further in before I brought it up. <laughs> well, sorry, I stole it from you, James. Um, but basically, I, I he probably doesn't know the term doxing and stuff like that, but I do think he is aware of how scary social media can be when they've decided on a scapegoat. And so... And he certainly does a good job of portraying that. Like, let's not lie about that. Like, in fact, it's it's entertainment, practically. There's people who's raising pitchforks, and then there's people who is watching eating popcorn. And I think that's really the best way to describe the the darkest slash, like, cruelest part of the internet is when people collectively decide, a group, a big group of people collectively decide on a scapegoat and even if you don't participate, you're still enjoying it and watching it like entertainment. So, yeah, and I think like a lot of that, as an audience member, you're kind of feeling it in the blanks. Um, they, they, it was almost like I'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt that like he didn't show anything related to that, but at least like you can kind of assume, okay, if you got hit by the the revealing gun that reveals your identity that's incredibly dangerous to the rest of the internet um yes Mm -hmm. um what i was more talking about was like the initial build-up um before suzu confronts the dad because i don't understand why she ends up going alone essentially to try to help save the kid from the abusive um household like yeah that that the initial part is actually pretty well pretty cool um how they locate them because i swear that was an actual thing that happened i 
I know, um, I don't remember if it was Reddit or 4chan, but Shia LaBeouf, like, flew a flag, like, in the middle of a field, and they literally figured out where it was by tracking the ice particle trail that comes off of jet airlines, compared that to flight paths across the United States, and also used positions of stars in the sky to dictate where it was, and then somebody drove around honking their horn, and people were updating on the live stream, being like, oh, we can hear your horn getting louder. Like, Yeah, people, have, yeah, people have been able to find the, the capture the Oh, yeah, game. there's some really creepy situation. I mean, this one was obviously more of a positive, but, like, a creepy example was I. there's a Japanese idol who got stalked by a fan because one of the uh, photographs, like a paparazzi picture. Oh, they, yeah. They he do used not, reflection in her eye. Yeah. They do not have her address or any indication of her address in that photograph. But that guy managed to zero in on, like, a street sign that's reflecting in her eye to figure out her address and stalk her. Like, that's oh, terrifying. Geez. Yeah. Yeah. What I was saying was, like, so how they find the location is – they, what is it? They find it based off of the town tune of two different towns. So you know that they're on the border of it using the window that you can see the the, the reflection of the building um, and then cross-reference that based on the town tune in order to find the apartment. I swear that actually happened. I I, I feel crazy because I'm like, I've, I, I definitely heard that there was a case in Japan where an apartment was located. Or I'm just taking this straight from the movie, and I think I've heard it before, and I can't tell, because... I feel like it's probably the latter. I think it's, it's like, you know, like, you knew about the Shia LaBeouf thing, because we've talked about it before in the past, I know that. So, I'm you've probably heard enough similar things, and your brain went, yeah, no, that's probably happened. Like, like <laughs> I swear this exact same setup happened. Like, I don't know what, like... I was thinking that during the whole film. I was like, didn't this actually happen? But then I keep Googling, like, find Japan apartment or something. And I'm like, I can't find the exact case. Like, I heard about it once. And then just, like, now I'm going to be, like, forever be like, did this actually happen in real life or not? It's funny that the thing that seems, the like, the most out, one of the most outlandish things that happened in the film is actually, like, just totally real. Like, the... <laughs> The outlandish part was just that they just let her go alone to confront the the crazy guy because like I was just like wait that's that sounds like a really bad time. Uh. Yeah, <laughs> but at the same time, I was like, this is an anime movie about like the coming of age of like a teenager. They do this all the time. Like I'm thinking about your name, where it's like oh, and he just decides to you know take the train to Gifu just because. Can like ten other people that like were with her like also show up with that? I, like I don't know because it almost is like because I think what Gracie was was kind of talking about was like she confronts the dad and then. Um, he kind of just hits her once and then almost immediately regrets it and then kind of runs away like he's defeated. And I, like, it's not really clear if, like, um, I forgot the kid's name, but the kid is, like, in a better spot now that he's, I guess, okay, stood we're, up for his... Now we're on this topic. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, th this is a little early. I want to talk about the really cool parts that I liked, but, like, I don't know. This is, like, the first part. Like, the story gets kind of jank at this part. That's yeah. fine, because we can finish the podcast by talking about the stuff we like, which means we end on a high note. Yeah, that's <laughs> this is Perfect. ideal. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I, I'll just, I'll go ahead and save the part, since we're already at the ending. So yes, I, I think the resolution was non-existent, in my opinion, because here's the thing. 
I have unfortunately known a lot of people personally who grew up in abusive parental uh, parental environments. And let me tell you, that is not going to solve anything because these kids are still dependent on an abusive dad and abusive people, whether you like it or not, are humans, aka they're complicated, which means that they hit high points and they also hit very low points. And usually when there's this sort of confrontation that happens, they start making changes. So that's their high point. And then they regress because that's just how it is. And unless they get professional help, which, you know, let's be honest here, this is Japan, unless they get professional help, they're just going to constantly be in the cycle. So the reality is those two kids are still dependent and stuck in an abusive, an abusive home. Like that's all there is to it. And to me, that is not a resolution to what the story was trying to say at all, especially because I get what the movie was trying to do. They are paralleling her rescuing kids in the same way that her mom rescued a kid and how she her finally understanding like why her mom gave up her own life to save a kid and her process of like processing that grief and letting that grief go while in route of saving a kid on her own. I get the parallel. It's excellent. I love full circle themes like that. In fact, I try my best to incorporate it into my own stories, but there is a distinct difference from her mom saving the kid and her saving a kid because her mom genuinely saved a kid. She genuinely swam over there and put that life jacket on that kid. And because of that, the kid was able to survive. I'm Basuzu. her going there to just block the dad from hitting the kids one time and then just stare him down and watch him like screaming run away. That doesn't solve anything. She didn't save them from they're still under like his guardianship. And unless those kids are out of his guardianship, like an erased where Kaya or Kahul uh, actually got out of her mom's guardianship and was living with a grandparent who was much more mentally stable and not physically or mentally abusive. Instead, those kids are still in the exact same spot. So yeah, I don't. So exactly. that's why I'm like, there's no resolution. This isn't a resolution. Like, like, so. like, but like the thing is, like the story had an out too at that point. Like you could have still had the same scenes, but then like previously they had said that like social work wasn't going to help them. Maybe it was like because if the kids were then going to testify, then that could have like it, it, this is stuff that like could have been explained in almost like a throwaway like. 30 to 40 seconds worth of scenes to just change it so that like there's no like kind of I don't know if like if, if it's like in the back of your mind thinking oh are they going back to live in the same house like 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 it was almost like like they didn't need to show that much more to like get the kids out of the situation yeah and honestly they probably are because the whole uh, the old lady having that conversation with child services child services turned them down like they turned down the old lady's call which in reality just shows to me that they're not going to help in this situation so she didn't solve anything like i'm sorry she didn't solve anything she didn't save any kids which is why i'm like I get what the story is trying to do. They're doing that full circle thing, the parallel that she lost her mom to, but it's just two completely different things. The mom literally saved that child's life, but I'm but she did not save these poor boys' lives. Like it, it is what it is. So Yeah, exactly. I see it I guess slightly differently cuz so bringing bringing up the the child services thing and this could be 
me not quite remembering the exact lines because it has been a couple days now. But my understanding of it was is they could couldn't show up immediately was was the issue and not that they weren't going to show up at all, which is why Suzu did that, you know, oh, I have to get on the train now and why nobody followed her because it was that like spur of the moment. Like I do agree. And you're right. The dialogue did say like not at least within 48 hours, but I'm also but it's just I think I might also just be cursed with too much knowledge because my mom also worked in social work. And I know for a fact that Japan's social work situation is actually worse than the U.S. And I know how bad the U.S. situation is. And so I just have all these like facts and like reality too much in my head where I'm like, they're not going to do anything like they're they're not unless an actual guardian from like their family, like another family member, like they actually did do an erase. Erase did solve the problem because the grandma came up and took uh Kaho and decide to raise Kaho as her own like that did solve the problem but unless they do something like that that's kid that kid's gonna remain there with an abusive dad so <laughs> so the second thing I was going to get to is and it is that this was an interesting thing for me observing it going well the the one thing that's changed for the situation at least in the point of the older brother is that the father is no longer this, I'll say, I'll just use the word unstoppable force or immovable object in this case, because there is definitely a power dynamic and Suzu's actions interrupt that quite a bit because it turns this domineering father into literally somebody who can't hit a girl. And so there is, and again, I'm not, necessarily disagreeing with your interpretation of it but i think there there is an aspect of positive change at the end of it and this could be me living in fanciful anime land where everything works out and you may be correct in being cursed with knowledge and the you know as you kind of said the reality of the situation but as weak as this counterpoint is, my counterpoint is this is a fictional anime movie that uses a metaverse that doesn't exist yet. I think I'm allowed to hope that all the positive aspects that could happen are the things that happen. Yes, and I, that's why I completely understand. I can see why people don't have a problem with the ending. And I, like I said, I am cursed with knowledge and the fact that I do just have so many people around me that I know personally who grew up in this kind of like environment. So the reality of how things work out is just too, and especially the fact that, and I think what hurts this even more really is the fact that it's actually a pretty realistic depiction of how abusive parents are because we find out in like one of the clips early on, I don't know if you guys caught this, but essentially he lost his wife and Mm -hmm. this is a sad reality, but you know, a lot of abusive parents actually don't start off abusive. In fact, a lot of them, it's because something really bad happened to them. So really they are struggling mentally and emotionally and they take it out on their kids because they don't have the means and the methods to healthily process their own sort of grief and their own negative emotions that wouldn't like, that wouldn't lash out. And so so I think the fact that the story kind of just took that extra step of realism in regards to how these abusive parents can come to be just makes it more rooted in reality to me, unfortunately, that I just can't let it go because I'm like, this is like, this is not like those kids are. I'm sorry. Those kids are still in a terrible situation. So, 
Yeah, that's that's what I was trying to say. Like they they could have just executed it in a in a way that would have had the better res- resolution without sacrificing the theme. It, it just it just really felt like they ran out of runtime at that point because yeah, was, yeah, was that agree. like two hours or something? Like that's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's a two, two hour hours. Movie. Yeah, yeah, no, that's crazy. For Which an anime film. for me also though, and this is something I guess that factored into it and admittedly when i first saw that scene my pessimist self immediately went like well the kids are just in the same bad situation they were in before and so it took me some thinking about like why this was happening and and a little bit of like post film rationalization to make myself feel a little bit better about it cuz i had such i have such positive opinions of basically everything else in the movie that i'm i'm gra- i was you know i was i was as i mentioned earlier i was reaching you know you you reach to make to make everything <laughs> Tie up, tie itself up nicely. Um, does that change my general opinion on interpretation of the ending? No, but to bring up Nick's thing, uh, they probably could have added more to to smooth that out, to tie it up a little nicer, so that this discussion we're having basically didn't need to happen. But I'll tell you one thing: I was, I'll say, physically uncomfortable for the last twenty minutes of the movie, maybe like twenty five minutes. Because I really had to go to the bathroom. Like, this movie was long. Um, And unfortunately, the one downside of the theater, even if you are the only one in the theater, is you can't pause the movie. So um, there was kind of a, I'll say like five or ten minute long section right before we get to the like super sleuth find out where the apartment building is detective work and like that ramps up into the climax. There was kind of like a five to ten minute lull towards i'll say like the about two-thirds or three-quarters of the way through the movie where i'm like this film is long and i didn't actually know how much longer it was going to go and it my brain got distracted doing the calculations of like how badly do i actually need to use the bathroom (laughs) (laughs) Um, so while they could have added more i really don't think i also think that they like couldn't have because if they made this movie any longer i think it would have become one of the things that i would start complaining about is that the movie is too long yeah Ooh. what's interesting is oh sorry nick oh you, you can go i was just gonna talk about the other storyline parts too oh well i was gonna say uh mal so mal is one of our writers at anime training for people listening and he's actually one of the ones who really didn't like the plot line of Bell at all. And so obviously praise the visuals. I think it's hard to argue against the visuals in all honesty. Like I think if you, yeah, I, I just can't imagine not liking the visuals, but, um, but Mel is, I think the harshest out of everyone at anime trending in regards to how he felt about the story. And he felt like there was too much going on. That was one of his critiques. He feels like the stuff that was happening in the real world, and then the stuff that was happening on the virtual world was essentially making the plots very smushed together and didn't really have time for breathing room. And he said he especially felt it at the end, which I think kind of goes in, like, I don't completely agree with him because I obviously still enjoyed the movie despite my critiques of how it ended. Um, but it kind of goes in with what you were saying about how like this is a long movie. It's they they do have quite a bit of storylines put in there that they needed to thread together. So Yeah. They probably could have cut the like Ruka and um Kayak Boy uh that that whole little thing um it was it was nice i i'm not opposed to it i you know it was a good thing like but 
if we're talking about like things that could have been trimmed to make room for other stuff that I think would have been like the first thing to go. Um, it doesn't mean I didn't like it, but yeah, this is the, you know, if for the sake of brevity or if something needs to get cut in order to fit in a better explanation for like the ending scene or like the, you know, the climax of the film or whatever, then that's the only thing that comes to mind because if you change it too much, then you basically just get like, Oh, if you know, cause as much as Bell is two different stories kind of mushed together, if you separated them, there isn't really enough to warrant the kind of praise that it's getting now. Like, if you took it into two separate pieces, you then just have Beauty and the Beast, and then you have a weird second version of Summer Wars, basically. And... <laughs> I don't know. Did you watch the, like, the trailers or something? Because, like, I get that the name is Belle, and I get that they used a lot of the icons for beauty and the beast but like most of the like i don't know it's it's like it's there but it's almost like half used i did not watch any of the trailers like like the, like the whole beauty and the beast motifs are, are are clearly there you have like the guy who's like this is the gaston guy this is the guys that are going in you have they have like a ballroom scene because you kind of have to like like there's there's almost like it kind of checks off the list but they don't really add too much to the whole picture um because then the movie is kind of more about the identity of the beast and so a lot of the other scenes of them kind of like showing love you're thinking okay is this this isn't romantic love where you you realize at the end it's like oh this is just showing kindness to a stranger so it's like love in a different way but then yeah there is a lot of padded music time for like um how dare you say padded music time? Well, it's not like bad padded music time. Some of them are like pretty dense where like if a lot of the lyrics are just like, like it follows like the Howard Disney's, um, not Howard Disney, but how, the guy, I forget Howard, I forget his last name, the guy who did the music for Beating the Beast, Little Mermaid and stuff. Because like a lot of the formula is like, here's the I want song. Here is the like, yeah. the characters oh, are seeing. yeah, I didn't think about that. The yeah. characters <laughs> seeing a lot of the feelings. Um, and so that's why like from the opening scenes and even like the ballroom scenes, I was like, oh, she's singing about not understanding why her mom jumped into the river like to save mm-hmm. the kid yeah. it's like that like some people some criticisms i've heard of the film were like about how the romance element between suzu and the beast is really weird because the the beast is 14 years old which again i don't think that that was the intention but it was almost like i can't tell if that was like intended as a twist or it's also funny that you're like, oh, the Beast is 14 years old. It's not like Suzu's that much older. She's like, what, in her second year of high school? Yeah. I'm... Maybe maybe, maybe first. That means she's like 16 or 17. Well, like that is, well I think the boy's actually 13, but 16 oh, and 13 oh. as teenagers is a very big difference. So It is a very big difference, but it's not. It, it's it's still not as bad as like... I know we've talked about age gaps in anime before. It's not as bad as like a thirty-year-old and a sixteen-year-old. There, there you know? was even like a there was a throwaway line with I, what were the the aunties, the choir aunties, where she was like, "Yes, oh, yes, yeah. I think that my, was foreshadowing my, too." Yeah, she was yeah. like, "Yeah, my first love was." Uh, I found out he was fourteen, and then that turned me off. And I was like, "Oh, that that was a pretty funny line." Like I thought that was funny as a foreshadow for this. Um, yeah, I thought it was too. It was I, kind- I was also. You go, oh, you go, you go, you go. I was going to... Oh, well, I was thinking about the whole romance thing. Uh, I actually think the romance, like, 
thing-ish kind of bloated the whole thing. Because if I had to cut something, and in regards to even, like, the whole Beauty and the Beast thing is, um, if I had to cut something, it would sort of be, like, the her crush on her childhood friend. Because ultimately, if I really think about it, he didn't really do anything. <laughs> and so I, I'd rather it much focus on the beast instead. And especially where it seemed like maybe it was like, oh, they could have something. But then she obviously, it was in the dance scene too, where she obviously changes her mind and she seems to see like, oh, I think he's younger. And instead she opts for a hug instead. Like, I think that would have been more impactful if there wasn't like this whole crush thing also happening on the side with the character who I did like, you know, but he ultimately didn't contribute much to the story. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, the, I, I put that in the same bucket as the um, Ruka and Kayak guy. James it's hates like there, there's this external the, well and that exists also to put like tension into the romance that gracie thinks is extra which is the like oh i think that rook is crushing on the guy that i'm crushing on and then the like surprise no she's not she's actually in love with weird guy um so congratulations all of you weirdos out there that, that, that was like so funny because like my brain that was they, such a funny scene when, yeah. yeah no no that's why i'm like you can't you can't cut the romance part with her and that guy because that, that scene was funny but the build-up to that was so great because it was like she's introduced and suzu's friend is like wow that's ruka the most popular girl in school i hate her because she's out so like pretty and talented and she's just like I can't like show it because I'm not on camera, but it's like she's doing the, the the little like sidestepping dance, like she's doing like a tap dance while playing the saxophone, and I'm just like, oh my god, that's hilarious! Like I mean, it was just like so whimsical looking that I'm like, you literally can't. She's yeah, hate this person. Ruka Ruka is is cast by the dialogue and like opinions of other characters as like she's gonna be the mean rival, and it turns out she's she like just wants to actually have awesome I... and nice. Like all three of like the main lead girls were like so funny in their own kind of ways. Like I. I thought that the dynamic was hilarious so like then leading into that that whole situation was so cute yeah no i really adored ruka because a big reason for it is i really dislike the mean girl trope not because mean girls don't exist or anything but at least from my experience growing up in high school and middle school the popular girls that i've yes my high school middle school was surprisingly clicky and very um you know, high school teen sort of movie. Uh, ro- you rom-com. lived in a you lived in a in a TV show. Yes, my friends make fun of me for that, and so like I can tell you guys stories of like the drama <laughs> from there. But that being said, I did befriend the popular girls in middle school and high school. Not I wasn't part of their group because I did like I wasn't interested in being part of their group. But I was friends with the popular girls themselves and. I just want to say they're all actually really nice. Like they're not at all mean girls at all. In fact, one of the girls that I distinctly remember in middle school, she she was so pretty too. Um, but one of the girls, she was one of the sweetest persons I've ever met in that my school year in that school. Like she was just so sweet and she was so hardworking. And so I never really liked the mean girls trope with like the popular girl because I'm like, oh, like, and I know my experience isn't enough to like, you know, put a blanket term over it. But I was like, 
all of my experience with the popular girls is that they're just normal, really nice girls. It's just that some of the things they do make them sort of like coveted or their looks make them coveted. Because I do like I will attest to the fact that the sweet, really sweet, popular girl that I was friends with, she was really, really pretty. So like people coveted that. And so they put her up on a pedestal. And she's popular because of that. And so, but it's just, like, so my experience has always been really different from how, like, media portrayed it. So the fact that Ruka ended up being exactly like those uh, popular girls in high school that I've known, it just, like, made me happy in a personal way, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, they're, they're, they're all very good characters, which I, I, I like quite a bit. I think that it's... The, the movie benefits from having them. It's, it's again, like, just a, in, a, in the prioritization. It's not like, w there's there's very little stuff that's bad that we need to get rid of. If we needed to cut things for time, it's what is, like, the least essential. It's all good, but it just has different, different like, priority levels of, you know, requirements for moving the story along. Mm -hmm. But anyway, um, my one other gripe is that he's very clearly paddling a kayak and he keeps calling it a canoe. <laughs> that's, that's, that's probably not their fault. That's whoever localized it. Someone had, someone no, had the, 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 the word, the word used in the Japanese dub is canoe, except it's pronounced like canoe. I know. Well, if they have to settle on the script, I, I, I don't know. That's probably a G kids thing. Like whoever. Had G -Kids yeah. Or it's, that. or it's the like weird, loan words thing where both kayaks and canoes are called canoes because canoe is very not a japanese word yeah exactly um, so i'm like eh. but as somebody that has gone canoeing and kayaking that 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 rubs me the wrong way yeah it's uh well i thought rowing was wait what, what word did they use they use canoe they use canoeing they call it the canoe club and it's a guy with a kayak and he uses a kayak but like in the fact that he's competition it's canoeing like assuming like the only reason why he's going alone is literally because he had no friends in his club like normally you would call it i think i think that was a correct translation because it's 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 competitive <sighs> competitive it's canoe is it yeah for like olympics and stuff um, even for even for kayaks yeah they would call it men's rowing like you wouldn't go whack oh it's... yeah rowing yeah 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 <laughs> well rowing is different rowing is rowing in the competitive sense because i i did go to a training for my undergrads rowing team and then i found out that they have to wake up at like 5 30 in the morning and i was like hell no um i, th I think it goes th under that same umbrella term because like the only reason why he's like in in his canoe for one is because no one wants to join him because he's like the weird guy which is weird because it's like it's such a cool sport. Like, why would you? Why it's a very, would you just join him? It's a him? very cool sport, but <laughs> but like the 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 extra. It's like we know that Japanese extracurriculars usually demand a lot of time. Uh, anything that involves you having to go to like a river or a waterfront will automatically demand even more time. Like that was the issue with rowing at my undergrad was if we wanted to row, we had it was like a thirty minute drive to where the boats were docked because that's where the river was, and so. It was, you know, we have practice like four times a week. You have to wake up at 530 every morning because we have to get back in time for people with 8 a.m. classes. And so I was like, absolutely not. You, I was hard enough waking up at 6 a.m. to come to this trial thing on a weekend. I am absolutely not waking up at 530 <laughs> in the morning on a weekday. You have to pay me to do that because 
employment. Anyway, so, um, I'll go for it. How about the father, Suzu's father, who in the script is just labeled as Suzu's dad instead of like a person's name? He is he is present and he exists kind of and that's all he really needs to do like all he really needs to it's i don't know it's a pretty like i don't want to say stereotypical but it's a fairly generic anime dad of like present and cares but is either is like too busy with work or is just emotionally incapable of connecting to any degree with it you know with his children which makes sense because like the the major event that has happened for both of them is the death of her mom and his wife which is not something that either of them i think really wants to dwell on it was kind of weird because it was like he was non-existent but it almost felt like he was trying to make a presence where so there was a point halfway through where i was thinking okay so since there's no way that uh shinobu the love interest guy was gonna be the beast but I was like, what are the odds that it was going to be the father, secretly the beast? But then I was also like, wait, that's really weird from, like, the framing. Yeah, but... I was, I actually also, it's funny because you, uh, you kind of, like, read my mind. Because that was also <laughs> one of my guesses. I was like, what if the beast is the father? Which I thought would be really sweet, like, before the dance thing happened. So please keep that in mind, listeners. But um, before the framing thing happened, when he just showed up, I was like, oh, like, it would be really sweet if the beast was his father because... Because from the looks of her father, because from the looks of it, her father seemed to have like moved on from the mom's death and it seemed like he's okay and everything. But the reality of it is he's in here fighting people. So maybe he also is like, it'll be a way for them to come together in their grief and stuff like that. But then the framing stuff happened and I was like, never mind. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I was like, wait, that's a, that's a sus camera angle. There's no, there's no way they're doing that. Unless it was like, at that point, I'm going to say at no point does Bell have quote weird anime moments. Um, Like how I think even your name has some stuff that I'm like, it's not, it doesn't break the movie, but it was also like, if I was showing this to my parents, I'll just be like, wait, why is that part of the film? Um, so like, I'm, I'm pleased to say that this is a film that I would definitely show just if I had to be like, here's the most inoffensive thing that I can show uh, without having like my entire, I guess. We can add it to the list uh, of anime to show your parents that very, very My entire list. side career being like, I guess, criticized. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it's interesting that we're talking about the dad because I was reading through the interview that was conducted. Um, it, it was anime trending and a couple other outlets. And one of the questions actually was like, Asking the director, uh, Mamoru Hosoda, um, like what character they resonate with the most. And he actually was like, I resonate with Suzu's dad the most because, you know, at some point, probably because the director has a daughter. And so his take on it is like, at some point, I'm probably not going to connect as much with my daughter, but that doesn't matter because I'll still care about her. And that's very much the vibe that I get from the dad because he's there and he you know, checks in on her multiple, you know, before he leaves and usually before he leaves to work and usually when he comes back and he, he offers, you know, like, why don't we have dinner or, you know, do you want dinner tonight? Or, you know, ask those kind of questions, those kind of open-ended questions that he's really not trying to put any pressure on Suzu. Like as Nick mentioned, like he's probably gotten over it, the death of his wife at this point, but he recognizes that Suzu hasn't. And so 
he's letting her take things at her own pace, which I think, you know, it shows a lot of, of care because I know there are other situations where a parent would be like, you know, pressuring them to like, get over it. You got to move on with your life. And he's not doing that. Mm-hmm. I, I just felt like he was a little underdeveloped where you, you, it's almost like you have some elements in the story where they're, they're overdeveloped or like there's too many threads. And then this, this area was a little bit not utilized at all. And I was kind of confused at that particular I choice. Uh, I, I like kind it of funny it... though. Cause like, again, like it would have been like, it would have been like Summer Wars where you're like, wow, you're on the internet and like the person you connected with the most is literally like 10 feet away from you right now. Like it would have been yeah. like this. Oh, wow. They're really convenient. But I don't know. The writing from Summer Wars is honestly worse. That's like my that's my hot take is like I like this a lot better than Summer Wars. But I think I enjoyed this one more than Summer Wars. I just don't I think know it looks, how much it looks it, nicer than Summer Wars. Yeah, like I don't know how much of that is just carried by the visuals. I think <laughs> I think music. as <laughs> I think as time goes on, honestly, I think what it is is that as you know, somebody works on more films and more projects, they get a little better at what they do. And you know, Summer Wars is good. It's not a bad film, but it has flaws. And I feel like maybe mostly because of the subject matter of like being on the internet is is closely associated with associated with each of those films i think bell is just like oh i did a thing and now i'm doing it again but i have more experience and i'm probably going to do a better job mm-hmm. anyway we've talked a lot about story stuff i don't want to do we have anything else we want to do story wise before we move on to we keep talking about how pretty it is and how nice the music is but i don't think we've we've really dived into it and I'm interested in kind of exploring that a little more. I'm looking at the clock going like, hmm. Yeah, we're running out of time. Oh, God. Um, uh, longer episode today. It's not going to kill us or the listeners, maybe our editor. But to cap off the the last point, I think Suzu's dad is developed perfectly enough. He is a constant, <laughs> and that's all he needs to be. He's there and he cares. There's my rhyme for the rhyme for the evening. <laughs> Um, anyway, music, because I love music. And one of the things that got me super excited about the, this film is seeing Taisei Iwasaki's name attached to it because he did the soundtrack for Blood Blockade Battlefront and Blood Blockade Battlefront and Beyond, which are, I'll, I'll just call them one show cause it's the show and it's sequel, but like Blood Blockade Battlefront, or I guess the Japanese version the name Kekai Sensen is probably one of my favorite shows like overall it's one that i keep coming back to it's one that i think i think about it a lot and when i think about it a lot it's usually accompanied with me thinking dang i really like that show so i think about it positively and frequently Uh, and so the soundtrack for that show i think just knocks it out of the park it's one of my favorites in a really you know uh it really sets the mood it's really good at matching the setting it's got a lot of good reinterpretations of classic jazz songs and kind of the jazz style, which again fits the setting. So musically, that show has always kind of spoken to me. And so I was excited to see the same composer attached to Bell because it was kind of a, a seal that like, oh, I'm going to enjoy at least the music of this movie, even if I don't enjoy anything else. Uh, and so I'd like to hear your thoughts on the soundtrack. I know... I like to think of myself as kind of one of the soundtrack nerds, but I want to hear your opinions. I loved it. I've been listening to it nonstop, actually, while I work during the day. So that's any indication. (laughs) 
yeah, no, I mean, it's a, it starts out pretty show-stopping. The, I thought that the later, latter ones, I think, in the, sh- the movie, I think, build up a lot better as, as it went. Um, the only reason why is just because I felt like there was a bit more emotional payoff. Some moments I feel like are, I don't know, I'm going to be a little critical where it's like, this is the sad song, so the emotion feels sad, right? And I didn't feel like the emotion was 100% there for me, but then I was getting into the visuals and just there's the moment of the the music that I, I was able to look past it. That I was like, okay, this is a pretty cool looking. I feel it. You know, what's actually really funny is um, a lot of the songs where bell sings. I'm, I'm very much wrapped up in a lot of the emotion for that. Uh, even just like the theme, I like them. I'll say like the main motif of, we'll just say Suzu's sadness um, that matches like Gale of song. It's that, 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 uh, the little melody that she kind of sings at the beginning of the movie, well, not sings, tries to sing before immediately having a panic attack. Um, that that little that little motif, there that that brings out kind of it makes me feel the emotions again, even just listening to it just as a soundtrack, which I think is neat because uh, I I how do I put this in a way that doesn't make me seem like a sociopath? I don't like feeling feelings, uh, <laughs> and so any there's been discussions with uh previous podcast host Medi in loving memory uh about <laughs> how i don't like feeling feelings uh and when i realize that i am it's usually accompanied by like a ew this is uncomfortable um but i've i've been listening i i want to be able to listen to this soundtrack while i work um it's very hard for me to because when that melody comes on, especially with the instrumentation that sounds like it's being played on like a vibraphone or chimes, uh, immediately pulls me out of whatever I'm doing. Cause my brain's like, Oh, you've heard the notes. It's time to feel sad. Bro. No, <laughs> I know. dude. I have that same response to, is it the weight of the world from the new automata soundtrack? There's like, it's just, it hits that vibe where I'm like, the second it comes on, I'm like, okay, I'm going to start. Cr- I'm going to start crying now. Machia tears your heart out of the chest and like stomps on it so <laughs> oh yeah no i i have to yeah, um makia though for me the soundtrack on its own doesn't necessarily pull the exact same thing out and i think it's because makia was not necessarily like a music film but like the scenes i remember the second time not to di- div- uh divert too much but i remember the second time i watched makia and i was just ugly crying in the theater next to miles because um, every time it's, next, good, yeah. it's always a good time to talk about miles crying let's be real it's funny oh that was that was the funniest thing though because it was me and quok and miles and it was me ugly crying and it was miles crying and then quok kind of looking at both of us being like what's wrong with these two oh people? my gosh <laughs> <laughs> it was great also i think it's because miles and i were the only ones that were drinking like and so I had had, it wasn't even that much. I'd had like one, one beer or cider equivalent. And still I was like, Ooh. The lucky thing for like, me is that I have watched so much anime and cried over anime so much. I have perfected the art of silent crying. <laughs> so <laughs> I am able to watch these and just tears silently roll down my eyes like in the movies without me having to make a noise. <laughs> but the the thing that sticks out to me is that the one other soundtrack that gets me to like put a a, a 
a track on and then just like it transports me into a different state of emotional being is the Blood Blockade Battlefront soundtrack. There's there's two songs from the first and second season. There's one called White Beyond and then the second one called Tortoise Night. And those two, I listen to them and for White Beyond, I'm filled with this like nostalgic melancholy. And then for Tortoise Night, I'm just like, I have to lie on the floor and stare at the ceiling. Um, and while I talk about there being, you know, about Taisei Iwasaki, he was not the only one that did compositions. Um, there was also um, Ludwig Forsell and um, one other, uh, Yuto Bando, or Yuto Bando, uh, who also did, did compositions. And they all did a fantastic job. And we have an interview with Ludwig, uh, that kind of talks about how the how the soundtrack got put together in the production process. So I recommend everybody takes a look at that. I'll put a link to it in the comment uh, or into the comment or description of this uh, of this episode. But like, there's a lot of really cool stuff. Uh, I always love hearing production stories about people like traveling places to do stuff. And so apparently for. Um, the track oh which one is it it's uh a million miles away Iwasaki actually like went to the place in kochi japan where like the setting of the film is and like took a keyboard with him sat on the bridge that you see like that suzu constantly goes back and forth on that concrete bridge sat on the bridge and then composed the song sitting there wow. like it's stories like that that always oh, get me wow. super excited um and very, you know, like high energy and and just, you know, super invested in in a soundtrack, uh, which, you know, you don't need to do that to compose great music, but it's always fun when you have a story like that to go along with it. But anyway, super great soundtrack. I listen to it when I can. Uh, honestly, one of my favorite tracks though is the first one. I think it's simply just titled "You." Uh, like the name of the the metaverse that is in the film. Oh, that's a bop. Yeah, it's an absolute banger. Uh, I like it because, and this is James's high school band experience created a, a hyper specific niche of musical enjoyment. Uh, the drums that are used, the snares remind me of the snares that were used in my high school drum line. It's a very distinct sound that's different from. It, it's much more like, I'll say, to use onomatopoeia, like a clacking kind of sound as opposed to the more percussive hits that you normally hear in like an orchestral snare, like for a full orchestra. And so I love that noise. It brings back positive memories of high school marching band. Uh, so that already was a huge win. But also the the music itself, very cool. I love the instrumental and I love the vocals for you. That's such a good song. Anyway, Nick, any any more thoughts? Do you have a favorite track? Do you just uh? Oh gosh, I'm being put on the spot. I'm gonna say oh, you you don't have to. It's fine. I have one other thing I want to bring. Yeah, up. You, you do your point. I'm, I was gonna say yeah, you use a good bop, but I'm also like it is. I, I got nothing more to add. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, funnily enough, one of the times where I was not paying as much attention to the music and I. Therefore, it probably didn't resonate with me as much as it should have. Was during that dance scene, like I know that that's like, oh, she wrote a song for him, and you know, it's it's her also working through her all of this, and 
it, it upon listening to it after the movie it is a very good song but when i was actually in the theater i was too busy looking at it going like wow this is just the beauty and the beast scene look at this camera mute movement this is so <laughs> this is very it, much it like really the disney beauty and the beast that I, yeah. I had to go back and be like this is really close so like i you I know what i kind of was wondering i'm like is he allowed to do this I, I, of course he is. Okay, I, I, I had that thought because I'm like they're so similar for obvious reasons that I'm just like I'm like I don't I'm like is Disney okay with this? <laughs> if, if if you couldn't do that because I mean he's still making the shot again himself like filmmakers do that all the time where they'll they'll put in exact same shots from other movies. I know Quentin Tarantino is like really famous for having like. 50% of his movie shots are, like, composited from, like, all these different movies that he reshoots himself, like, with the film. But it's just the, the framing and everything is just taken directly as homage that, like, I can see it being a well-intentioned homage that, like, there's not – there's nothing that the mouse's um, – the mouse's uh, – lawyers gonna be do. able to do about it yeah and it's the same thing I'm, I'm sure you've both seen it that compilation of like every movie that does the uh akita bike slide oh yeah yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah so like if people if people got punished for copying shots there would be a lot more punishment going around mm-hmm. we couldn't um, we wouldn't have movies basically yeah. <laughs> some ideas are just too cool not to do it again because yeah and the beauty it. and the beast scene from the original or not the original but the disney animated film is iconic like whenever somebody says whenever somebody decides to take a clip and say like ah the disney renaissance that's always the clip they Mm -hmm. use they always use the dancing it's it's also like iconic on a technical feat as well because the original beauty and the beast was one of the first like big uh cg shots um with the way how that it was panned and generated where it rotates throughout the ballroom so it's yeah, kind it was of a technical funny. marvel at the time yeah it's really funny seeing it again recreated within a 3d animation so it almost is like i don't want to call it full circle but it is like really really close to that term um yeah i like the visuals overall though yeah, no, it was, it was great. I think my eyes were just like, whoa. I, I thought one of the other crazy, like, um, the scene was when they're fighting in, the Beast is fighting in the stadium. Mm. Where oh, yeah, in the dome. My favorite effect on that was, like, the motion blur around him. He's fighting in a 3D shot where his model is 3D CG, but, like, the motion blur is around his outside, but then the focus is on on the main center. Like, it, it's kind of hard to describe on an audio format, but, like... yeah. That those shots were so clean looking, like it was crazy how much motion that you could see, and it was it was um it was like simultaneously sharp, and then like the movement was shown through the the blur. It was it was really cool, definitely a highlight. I really liked the kind of the ethereal nature that seemed like this weird glow that seemed to surround a lot of what was going on in the meta. I'm just I know it's called you, like that's the name of this this alternate like social media platform but call that that's a such a common letter and also the second person pronoun for the english language i'm just gonna call it the metaverse The metaverse. Um, <laughs> <laughs> also because of of one of the one of the answers that hosoda did which was um where are we here uh talking about oh yeah quote and recently there's been a lot of talk about the metaverse and a lot of companies are releasing a lot of visuals but none of them are interesting enough 
Well, yeah, compared to what was happening in the movie, I'm like, I'm definitely not interested in what's like happening currently. So yeah, I don't want to be. I don't like all. Very much. Hey, hey, Mister Lizard Man Zuckerberg! If you want me to take you seriously on building a metaverse, you better make it look like Mamoru. Uh, yes. You he um, will just throw in more ads, though. That's the thing is, you didn't really see ads inside of you. We did not see ads inside of you, but the reason why there's no ads inside of you is you saw, uh, thanks to the the Gaston character, Blondie, uh, is that it's just corporate sponsors. Oh, yeah, you're right. Cause they're... But, yeah, you, all the stuff that goes on in there has this, like, ethereal quality to it that I think is really good at separating it from the much more 2D traditional animation of stuff that happens in the real world in the film. Uh, I like that that separation but it's also really well done because I know they try to pull that off in other films and sometimes even animated films, but it usually means that like one of the two suffers in terms of like quality or, or, you know, how it looks visually. And I'm very happy that that doesn't seem to be the case for Bell. Did you see any of the, the behind the scenes from Bell? Yeah. Cause I know you saw probably like what the, how they inspired the design of you, but did you ever look at like, how the wardrobe was designed. So apparently, according to the behind the scenes, they didn't hire like a fashion advisor for um, Belle's outfit. They instead hired a florist. Oh, that's so, so cool. She designed the outfit to like, look they, like they designed the outfit to look like a giant flower, like design. And it that's came awesome. out and like a lot of the motifs and stuff. It was so cool. Like, I oh, speaking of, speaking of like things in the metaverse there. Uh, I love, because this is, I don't want to say it's like a stereotype, but I love the fact that it's whales, like whales with the, like baleen whales with like the speakers and sound systems attached oh, to them. Oh, that was really cool, because yeah. <laughs> the thing, and I wish, I wish Medi, in loving memory, was here so that I could talk to him about it. But there is, um, in the current iteration of the Cardfight Vanguard trading game, there is a nation called Lyrical Monasterio. And their entire thing is that they are a nation of idols that travel on whales. And so this, <laughs> the, this, this whole like whales are the sea creatures that are automatically associated with like music, I think are the funniest things. And I, it's probably because whales sing to each other and you know, this, that, or the other, but it's always baleen whales, always a hundred percent of the time. It's never anything else. Probably because of the humpback whale. The humpback whale is famous yeah. for its uh, vocalization and how they yeah, tend to be song, the, sure. the canaries of the sea. So that's my guess. Because, I mean, with orcas, it's a lot of clicks. And then with blue whales, it's more groans. And so, sorry, I know a lot about whales. <laughs> no, that's fine. I just think it's funny that something that weighs several, like, dozens of tons is the canary of the sea. It's like, ah, yes, this bird that weighs three ounces. <laughs> yes. Do, do you think they reused the asset from Boy and the Beast to, of the giant whale? To like I don't know, because I haven't seen Boy and the Beast. Yeah, there's a giant CG whale in that movie, too. So that's like, I don't, I don't want to call it like a common theme, but like it kind of sounds like it. It may just be that whales are cool, because he they just, are. just really likes whales. Which yeah. I, mean, I, I get behind it. Um, I think overall, like mostly because we're, kind of, we're kind of running out of, uh, we've already run over time. Uh, but I guess we've talked for over an hour, but the long and short of this entire podcast is 
do we recommend people watch Bell? And I think the answer is yes. Oh, yes, yes, still yes. Yeah, Yeah, so get the chance to watch it if you can. Uh, I'm actually going to pay money to see it again this coming Friday. uh, Because, and this is something that I learned in, uh, in the interview with Ludwig, is how much extra work went into writing English lyrics and doing, like, an English recording session uh, for the dub, which I think is really important, especially for a movie that is a musical, is because this happens a lot in other, like, music anime, is your options are either somebody has to, like, rewrite all the lyrics and sing it again in English, or you have all the characters talking in English, and then it just cuts to people singing in Japanese. And so I'm really glad that they put in the extra effort to making it, you know, like translate the lyrics from Japanese into English and and do a separate English recording session. Uh, so I'm going to watch the dub because then I can experience it in the two ways that I will understand. One last thing, actually, as I realize I'm scrolling through this, uh, another super niche thing for James is the fact that they got Snarky Puppy to help record some of the percussion on one of the tunes. Uh, and... Neither of you went to high school with me, so neither of you really know the impact that Snarky Puppy had on high, on my high school self in terms of, like, the music that I listened to. Uh, I recommend, because this was the first introduction that I got to them, that you listen to a song called Skate You. I'll, I'll DM you both a YouTube link to the song, and I'll probably put it in the in the comment section as well. But, like, I love that group. I love a lot of the stuff that they do and to hear that they got to help work on like an anime project fills me with joy, even though they have no idea that that makes me happy and like nobody else does, but you know now. So, ha. And with that extraordinarily long tangent, thank you everybody for listening to this episode of the anime turning podcast. <laughs> Is that, that's it? Your... That's the single sentence? <laughs> that's the single sentence. So I watch have a, Bell. I have a, yeah, watch Bell. <laughs> Watch Bill. I, I I was gonna do my sentence and then let let each of you have yours, but let's jump into it. Final thoughts, Nick. Uh, I'll I'll go second. I have like a longer one. I don't know if this will be like a treat at the very end. Uh, okay, then we'll have Gracie go first. Yeah. Oh, uh, final thoughts. Um, it was fun. It was enjoyable. I like I said, the only real thing I had an issue with was the ending, but that doesn't mean I didn't like it because of that. And um, please vote for our Anime Trending Awards. It's open only for a few days. Oh, wait. It might like be closed by the time this episode is out. It'll be closed by the time this episode is Never mind. Keep the... your calendars, Mark. Okay, that's it. <laughs> vote in the weekly polls. That's the, that's the oh, call yes, action. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> so one thought I had while I was watching the film was just how... Even though there's a lot of really good CG, there are some like CG monstrosities in the avatars of the people. And like, I thought the funniest part for me was just like the thought that, like, imagine joining you and your whole body gets scanned, your whole personality gets scanned, your nearest neighbors get scanned to create this perfect avatar that perfectly embodies uh, Nick. And then it Nick. ends up being like a hand with eyeballs. Like, or just something and so, like oh yeah, and so somebody else gets to be nasty. like a smoking hot singing lady. Yeah, like I was surprised that there was just so many ugly looking things in the metaverse <laughs> that I was like, wow, this is like I, I I swear I would log on, I'd be given like the ugly CG rat, or I'd be like the hand with eyeballs, and I would just have like the most 
like body dysphoria like ever looking at it like it's like ever watch like sao alternative where she keeps joining uh mmos but somehow like len isn't able to like choose what she looks like which is why she finally settles on sao because it's or gun gale because then that's the one that finally makes her not tall <laughs> super tall yeah it was like that sort of feeling, but like to the extreme where I'm like, you literally have no control over what you look like. So the metaverse could just say, tough, tough luck. You're just an ugly little rat for the That's rest so of your life. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe uh, it is bringing out your inner you and secretly you've been ugly and awful on the inside the entire time. Because they did mention that you is supposed to emphasize like whatever is your strong trait. Yeah, so it's like maybe it's just like I I would just hope that like my body shrinks become like a like a Neko arc with a chef hat like my chibi. That's that's what I would like my you to be, uh, just a little bit more chaotic. But again, like <laughs> please, I feel real bad for whoever because like just just watch it again and just look at some of the CG models because some of them are like really horrifying that I'd be like, wow, I'd, this is some like second life monstrosity. <laughs> Anyways. all right uh what a great ending comment you could be ugly in the metaverse <laughs> thanks for listening to the anime trending podcast uh we have a twitter uh which is at any trends pod uh we have a fantastic editor thank you so much um and uh yeah vote on whichever of our polls are still open our weekly ones are going to be you know open every week and I think at this point, the Anime Trending Awards for 2021, the voting period will have closed, but that's not all. We will have a fantastic, fantastic award show coming up for all of you, so look forward to that. And we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone! Bye, thank you. Goodbye!